0: edition of pregame skate uh, my name is Pat Mullane. Uh, I'll be your host this evening uh, your normal host Parker Milner is on vacation uh, so I have been uh, bestowed this uh, this opportunity to, uh, to to host in his uh, uh, in his absence uh, before we get going I uh, just want to give a little background on pregame skate uh, the mission of pregame skate is to provide uh, hockey fans um, or just the Uh, you know, average person, easily digestible way for uh, for you guys to stay up to date on everything going on in the game uh, all on one platform. Uh, Not only do you get the newsletter, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but uh, you'll also receive original articles and invitations to calls like these um, in-person events. Uh, Your subscription serves as your digital ticket to these extra features that will be available on the website following the recording. Uh, The call and live events aim to tackle a variety of topics Uh, providing insight and guidance for those who are still learning about the game of hockey Um, and those who want to stay up-to-date and informed on the game. Uh, Tonight's guest is a good friend of mine, uh, my childhood best friend and a guy that I grew up with, but uh, before we jump into him, I guess I want to give a little bit of background on on myself and and my hockey experience and uh, and how I came to be associated with with pregame skate. Uh, I grew up in, in Connecticut Um, playing youth hockey there, Um, did the the, the boarding school route at Avon Old Farms, Uh, went on to play a year of juniors in the USHL in Omaha, Uh, played four years at Boston College, Uh, four years of uh, professional hockey, Uh, kind of bouncing around the minors in Europe, Uh, and then have made the jump into the real world, uh, which I guess makes me a perfect fit for this call as the, the primary discussion on this call is, uh, is transitioning from, from hockey into the real world. Um, uh, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, my best friend, Lee Moffey, uh, who I grew up with and uh, also had a great uh, college and, and professional career before going on to, uh, to found uh, State and Liberty, which we'll get into in a little bit. But uh, uh, Lee, welcome on.
1: Thanks for having me, Patrick. Uh,
0: how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's, uh, it's hotter than hell here in Ann Arbor, but uh, it's nice that summertime is here and it's going by fast. Uh,
0: I, you know, before we jump into this, I kind of want to give everyone, uh, you know, I guess a background on on our uh, childhood and growing up together. Um, Lee and I played on the same team from, you know, from probably when we were. Five or six until uh, almost we went until we went to college and um, what a lot of people don't know and, and I love this story uh, is that uh, you got cut from our might A team, uh, and my dad was the coach at the time um, and and we were one d short one one kid backed out and uh, and my dad took me aside and was like, hey you know who should we uh, who should we call up from the might b team and uh, you and I had like a conversation in, in line one day and I kind of liked you. So, uh, so you got the call up.
1: Yeah, I think that's just networking skills, just, you know, playing up to my strength at a young age, but, uh, yeah, just like couldn't really, I remember my dad like telling the story. I, um, obviously we have some great memories from growing up playing, uh, really traveling all over the world, playing kind of, kind of great times. But, uh, I remember my dad just being really excited when I lined up the right way, um, <laughs> you know, on opening draws and stuff like that. So I just couldn't mentally quite figure out the game, but it feels like over time something clicked a little bit for me and kind of got it figured out.
0: Well, uh, it's amazing that the the politics that existed as uh, as six-year-olds in in youth hockey, there's there's probably some some poor kid out there who who didn't get called up to to the Might A team whose hockey career ended up a little bit different than yours.
1: Yeah, I think it happens at all levels. I think everyone's uh, everyone's pretty aware of that. But um, got to play it through your strengths when you can, and take advantage of the opportunity. I'm glad I did it as a six-year-old, Patrick. <laughs>
0: um, uh, so I I grew up uh, with with one sister, but Lee uh, grew up in in an incredibly uh, athletic family. And uh, grandfather was was a quarterback at Harvard. His dad was a quarterback at at Columbia. And then his two older brothers played baseball at UPenn, and one was a cornerback at, at Williams College. And so uh, I used to love going over to, uh, to your house, Lee, and uh, you know, that, that's when I would get my, my fair share of uh, you know, beatdowns and, uh, and backyard football games. But uh, just talk about uh, kind of growing up in, in, in that athletic environment and um, you know, what that was like and, and kind of how that shaped you as an athlete.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, being the youngest and, and having brothers that were really into sports and really athletic and went on to have good, um, you know, collegiate careers was uh, quite a blessing. And as you know more than anybody, just we had the perfect yard for it. Um, you know, we had like a backyard that was shaped like a perfect diamond. So just like the whiffle ball games and um, all the different things. We had a little basketball court back there. So um, just from a young age, you know, just, just put into a really competitive environment and like you know, to this day, you know, all my brothers and I just just love the backyard games, love the recreational sports. But um, you know, I think I was like benching at the age of like 12 when everyone you know thought that it would stunt your growth. But uh, just kind of the environment I grew up in, and it was as you know, we just had such a blast, um, so many fun days in that in that backyard. But uh, just a lot of fun growing up in that environment, and it's almost like that went all the way through for us, Dave, on all farms where. Um, just similar environment, super competitive. Everyone having the same goal of wanting to play college college athletics. So um, it was a blast, man, which we can go back and uh, and do it all over.
0: Man, I'll never forget. Um, uh, so Lee's oldest brother was, you know, at one point. I don't know if he still does, but at one point held the um, the the U Penn record for most career hits. Um, you know, and I how, how much older is is Nate than us? You know, five, six, Nate's seven
1: 36. years. Nate's thirty six. Nate thirty six.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so he's eight eight years older than us and so when, when he was, you know, a sophomore in college, call it nineteen, uh, you know, Lee and I were, were eleven years old playing wiffle ball in the backyard and, and I'll never forget I you know, I, I threw a curveball right down the middle and, and he must have hit this wiffle ball, you know, two hundred and fifty feet and uh he kinda stares me down and he goes, You know, you don't bring that stuff to me, man And uh uh just a nineteen year old kid chirping us. Um, you know, but it, it, it I think it taught me how to uh kind of, you know, respond to um, uh, to criticism and, and, you know, show up for big moments.
1: Yeah, they definitely didn't hold back on us, which was, uh, like, you know, <laughs> hurt your feelings back then, but it uh, definitely helps growing up. And, you know, anyone knows my brother Nate, he's like a fully developed man with uh, a beard and armpit hair, like age 12, um, bigger biceps than I do right now. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just a, just a fun, fun household to grow up in. And, yeah, it was uh, good times.
0: Uh, yeah, and so so Lee and I, uh, you know, played on on that might a team together, and then uh, did a couple years of of travel hockey together, and and ultimately uh, ended up deciding to go to Avon Old Farms as as freshmen together. Um, and Lee was actually the one who who convinced me to go to Avon. I was uh, I was down between uh, I believe it was Deerfield and Avon, and and Lee's both of Lee's older brothers had had gone to. Uh, to Avon, and, and I remember his dad and, uh, and and Lee were like, you know, you, you'll never regret that decision to go to Avon, and, and so I, I went to Avon, and um, and you know, we had a, an incredible career, um, an incredible experience at Avon, winning you know two New England championships, and uh, just looking back, it was it was a just a great experience overall, and um, you know, Lee, I'm sure you can can share that that same uh, you know general feeling of uh just just a, um you know nostalgia, you know, looking back at at uh, your time at Avon.
1: Yeah, definitely one of those places when like when you're there you're kinda like miserable with no girls, Saturday class, like everything, but looking back like then just going to high school with three hundred of your best friends and, and same kind of thing. I love I tell like telling the story about uh at Avon when just like kinda sums it up back then. I don't know what it's like now, but you know, we have our morning meetings and the whole school's there and there'll be some guy, you know, with his chemistry book. And he's like, you know, I left my backpack in, you know, in this in this dorm and I can't find it. You know, if you can return it, I'd really appreciate it. Another guy, you know, I lost my TI-83. Um, you know, if anyone finds it, it's got my initials on it. And, you know, some PG, 21 years old. Is like, hey, boys, you know, I was in the weight room last night and uh, I misplaced my neck. So uh, if anybody <laughs> can come back and, uh, you know, deliver that to me, I'd really appreciate it. And it was just, like, standard stuff there. But I think that, that kind of sums up the culture at Avon, and it was just, like, just so much fun, especially looking back. Wish I almost kind of, like, uh, appreciated it more when I was there. But, yeah, what a fun place and playing in rowdy atmospheres and just being cocky little high schoolers that were that were pretty good at hockey. So it was great times.
0: Yeah, and I think we're, uh, you know, obviously hockey, we were producing some some pretty good players. You know, the year before us, you know, John Quick, um, and then the guys that we got to play with, uh, you know, Benino and, and Cam Atkinson, um, you know, just some really special players to, to come through during those years for us.
1: And we, we can't forget the greatest prep school player of all time, Augie DiMarzo.
0: Augie DeMarzo, oh, get doesn't get doesn't, doesn't get much better than him. He was, uh, yeah, he was he was the real deal. And then uh, and then even you know, uh, away from hockey, you still had like you know Mike Cox, who who went on to you know, be the running back at Michigan and then UMass and then the Giants and uh, George Springer who was the World Series MVP uh you know all guys that um you know that uh we lived with in the dorms at Avon which is uh which is crazy
1: Yeah and just all like you know those guys are great but just all the the great athletes that went on to play at Williams and, and Nestcake schools and Ivy League schools that like you know aren't the biggest name name recognition but like as far as you know athletes playing at that level pretty special I think uh, yeah, and
0: so after after Avon, uh, it was junior year. Both uh, Lee and I decided to do a year in the USHL. I went to Omaha, uh, and Lee went to Waterloo. Um, and then at that point, uh, I was committed to BC, and, and Lee was committed to Michigan. And uh, we kind of went our separate ways. And um, you know, I, I had a great experience in uh, at BC, but uh, you know, I remember calling you, Lee, uh, all the time and uh, th- there's just something different about Michigan. It's just, uh, from a, uh, from a student body standpoint, from a, uh, just an overall athletic standpoint, you guys compete in, in every sport. Um, so, so talk about a little bit about your, your experience at, at Michigan from obviously from a hockey standpoint, but just from a, uh, just from a lifestyle and, uh, and culture standpoint.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, kind of like gets back to that, that politics thing. Like, you know, I, I think that I came out to Ann Arbor for like a camp when I was maybe a freshman to sophomore and got, you know, acclimated with, with the town and met the coaching staff, kind of stayed in touch with them. And I think at the time, you know, they were just kind of looking for like a fill-in D-man and they knew that like I was really, I was a good kid and, and passionate about going to Michigan. So I think that really went a long way and helped me get in. But obviously, you know, hockey program, just, um, you know, just, just a great experience playing at Yoast and, um, you know, the play on the highest level, you know, lost in a uh, national championship final, which would like go on to be a pretty big theme in my career. Um, and then, you know, playing playing in uh, Michigan Stadium in front of 113,000 and um, just everything, you know, that encapsulates college hockey. I feel like I got to do it, except for winning a national championship. But um, and then obviously the social aspect to it. I think uh, Michigan's an easy school to hate because everyone's so passionate about about going there and i uh, not sure what it is, but I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, a little isolated here in Ann Arbor and the bad weather and uh, whatever it is. But, yeah, just a super, you know, loyal fan base, passionate fan base, and um, right right from the program to the fraternities to everything about Ann Arbor. So, um, yeah, just what a, what a college experience. And if you're looking to go to a big school and um, get the college hockey experience, I feel like there's, there's really no better place. So, um, yeah, and obviously, you know, I think we're going to get into it, but life after hockey and uh, Michigan just having a huge network, um, you know, playing a big role and kind of things I got going on now.
0: Yeah, talk, to, uh, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, playing in Yost every night. It's uh, consistently ranked as, you know, the best place to play. I, I never got a chance to play there, but, um, you know, everyone who, who plays there just speaks so highly of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I first got here, complete barn, wooden benches, super dark, um, you know, had like the... the like jumbotron which was not so jumbo with like the dot screen instead of like hD um, you know it looked like a ninety eight like EA sports type thing and that to me was just like the real yoast and um, you know just like appreciating a crowd that like at its loudest moments is on like a penalty kill like getting an icing on a penalty kill um, so I just just a super rowdy and like bit of like a raunchy crowd too going after fans going after. Opposing teams' parents and girlfriends, and um, they they definitely renovated it uh, my going into my senior year, and I think that kind of like changed it a little bit, brightened it up, big screen, um, like updated everything, like moved the stands a little bit away from the glass. So I think uh, like a little a little frustrating with like I think Yost has kind of lost its its luster a little bit, but um, you know it's obviously more enjoyable for kids and stuff now. Um, amenities are all updated and stuff like that, which is like, you know, needs to be done, but um, definitely missing that old school Yost feel that, uh, you know, that was just so great to play in and, um, you know, so excited about and, you know, still just get the chills, thinking about coming up you know, coming out on the ice to hail the victors and throwing on the wing helmet. So, um, you know, obviously super lucky to play there and uh, played the big chill at Michigan Stadium, which was fantastic. And, but, uh, you know, it is a shame kind of going back and being like, ah, this just doesn't have the same Yost same feel as, as it had my first three years.
0: Uh, yeah, no, I uh, I wish we had the opportunity to play there. It's just, uh, you know, you'd watch YouTube videos, and it was uh, just the atmosphere was so rowdy. Um, now, during one of your years, I don't know if it was after freshman or sophomore year, um, you were drafted. I forgot to bring this up in your introduction, but um, you were drafted by San Jose in the, what, sixth, seventh round?
1: I believe it was the last round of seventh,
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and and before you, you ultimately uh, or you had the chance to sign with San Jose, um, you were traded to to Colorado. And I don't know if you remember this story, but this is this is one of my, my favorite stories. We were in uh, Newport, Rhode Island together, and uh, we were staying with your brother. Um, and we woke up on a, I believe it was a Saturday morning, and, and we were just watching TV. And uh, I think you got a text from from your agent, um, uh, you know, being like, Hey, you were you were just traded um and and we logged on to to Twitter and and the Colorado Avalanche had had tweeted, you know, like the Colorado Avalanche acquire uh Lee Maaffy in exchange for Kyle Bigos. Uh and the first person to respond to it was like traded who for who? Uh and and both of us just started dying laughing. We thought that was so funny. Just like who for who?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just like just classic. Uh, you gotta have fun with yourself. Hope Kyle Begos is doing great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I definitely I remember that. It's always it's always fun. When, you know, you just like even at Michigan, the Michigan crowd, too. Like yeah, you go dash two in a game and you're just getting absolutely shredded to pieces on the boards and like the Michigan Daily. And uh, I used to love that. And when you know it's 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 like in, it's in your face. And like you go to class on Tuesday at Michigan and like you know, Michigan Daily's out, it's all over it's all over the, the halls or whatever. So like, you pick it up, give a glance at it and you know, a reporter gives like a you know, shaky review of your game and then they gotta interview you like the next week and you just have so much fun with these like you know, these like little kids, these little uh you know, literature um uh majors and uh that was always an enjoyable thing and you know we definitely had a lot of guys in the team like to mess with those guys. Um and, you know, they're like writing down John Down notes, their hand is like shaking vigorously. So uh, <laughs> it's always fun. You gotta be able to make fun of yourself, which is uh part of it and kind of the fun part of it I'd say. Uh
0: and and then after your so uh, kinda you know good segue into into your pro career, um you know ultimately get traded to to Colorado and uh after your your senior year, you stay all four years. What was your major? History history, so you, you parlayed that pretty well into a, into a successful business yeah. career.
1: And I suck at Jeopardy, too, so it's really not doing too much for me. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so after, uh, you know, after you graduated, you end up signing with, uh, with Colorado. Uh, talk to me about your, your first year pro. You were kind of up and down between the American League and Cleveland and, and Colorado of, of the CHL or Denver of the CHL. Uh, talk to me about that year.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a tough year and pretty eye you know, opening. I had a had a really good junior year and I feel like my professional slash hockey career was looking really good. And um, didn't have a great senior year. Team didn't do well. I didn't do well. So that kind of hurt me and uh, setting me up for my professional career. But uh, definitely a, a tough year. Um, you know, would get called up to uh, get called up to the American League for like two months and play like two games and um, getting sent up and down and you know, you get called up on a road trip when you're playing in, in, you know, double A and then, you know, you're going up to to Cleveland and you only have like one pair of boxers and a duffel bag and you're up there for two months just kind of doing nothing, hanging around. So pretty eye-opening year. It kind of felt like that year was, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, my my professional career wasn't going to pan out the way I wanted to. And I think that, you know, the only thing I, I do give myself a little bit of credit that year is away from the ice where, um, you know, I feel like, I was so hockey-focused at Michigan, I feel like I didn't take advantage of my degree the best I could have, so really used that year to, like, really educate myself, and I, mean, I don't know what the hell, like, a mortgage while I was graduating from college it was kind of embarrassing, but, you know, just kind of, like, freshening up on, uh, you know, life after hockey, went after a, uh, like, internship and uh, network, chatted with people, and, uh, you know, I had a lot of downtime not playing any games, so, uh, you know, really took advantage of, uh, kind of the network and really just kind of, uh, you know, learning about things that I feel like I wasn't really too uh, too sharp on after leaving college. Uh,
0: yeah. And, and talk about that internship. So, so after your, um, your rookie season, I remember, uh, you know, a lot of us returned either back to, to Boston or back to Connecticut to, to train for the, the upcoming season. And uh, I'm getting a text from you. You're like, Hey, I have an internship this summer. Um, and uh you know, talk, talk to us about that, you know, going to to Vegas to work at the Bellagio.
1: Yeah. So it was a internship at Bellagio in Vegas. I was doing convention sales and I was pretty much set on my career being done at that point. And then it was an eight eight week internship. And I think I lasted like five and a half weeks of it. Um, and just, I just didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Um, I didn't enjoy like the corporate atmosphere. I didn't enjoy that The office had no windows. Um, you know, since it's just kind of like a lab rat in there and, uh, that definitely inspired me to two things: play again, and um, also that like I didn't want to be in a big corporate environment. Um, wanted to be on a smaller team. Whatever I was going to do life after hockey, um, and kind of felt like wasn't a corporate guy. So in some capacity, I want to be in some sort of like startup, small company uh, type atmosphere. So that's kind of like what led me to not only play, um, you know, another year, but also like you know try and build my resume uh, towards you know, being in a, a startup, smaller company atmosphere.
0: Yeah, no, I, I remember, you know, calling you uh, while you were in Vegas, and uh, obviously you're definitely enjoying yourself, but, uh, um, you know, just we miserable. Good, we had a good time
1: out there. I would say for, like, someone who's making 400 bucks a week, we, we really found the uh, ins and outs of Vegas. And um, I think <laughs> uh, that my, my, my soul needed a break both from the work and from just being in Vegas for that long.
0: Yeah, no, I can, I can imagine. Um, no, but I, I remember when all, the, when
1: you, all the bounces at the pool parties, like know you by your first name. It's, it's probably not a good sign. Yeah, no, that's,
0: that's time to get out of there. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, so the, so the following year you end up in Charleston, South Carolina and, um, you know, it was right around that time that, uh, that, that state and Liberty was born. So, um, I guess talk to us about, you know, talk to me about the, that year, uh, you know, playing in, in South Carolina, but, you know, the ultimate, um, uh, kind of forming of of state and liberty.
1: Yeah, so um, so yeah, lucky enough, uh, my, my buddy Jack Downing was playing in Charleston, South Carolina, on the coast, and um, he was just raving about what a, what a great spot it was. And he would recruited some other buddies that we knew, and uh, what would lead, ultimately lead to um, you know being like one of the most fun years of my life. Just a great group and a great team and a tremendous city. So um, lifelong friends from that team, and it was such a blast, but came back from Vegas and I was staying with a buddy of mine who had met my senior year, Stephen Fisher, now co-founder at State of Liberty. And, um, you know, I think I've just about all my friends, especially you and I, Patty, we had chatted about like, just like not feeling like anyone was really pulling together with the dress shirt. Um, Other companies out there were using this like newer type of performance fabric and Lulu and was super interested in that and found a company that was actually making um, dress shirts out of this performance fabric. But, you know, they just kind of looked – they didn't look really good and they didn't fit that well. So, um, you know, I was always chatting with people about it. And I was staying with actually Steve's parents while I was training for the upcoming season in Ann Arbor. Um, so Steve and I were, were spending a lot of time together and got pretty close and having beers and chatting business and, and kind of life after and uh, had chatted about this gesture idea. And he had started a, another, um, another wrestling apparel company and, and essentially – uh you know he sat me down one day and was was like hey you know i can i can get this business off the ground and take care of like the business side of it if you think you can sell um you know this idea so uh that kind of kick-started you know working on getting prototypes and stuff like that and um yeah that year was about you know getting some of the first prototypes and uh giving them to the guys in charleston and having them wear it and actually they, they bought them which is pretty nice and kind of feel bad for I probably should refund all those guys right now for the, the first dress shirt that we did sell them. But, um, I'm just kind of taking a step back for those who don't know, you know, essentially, um, you know, the idea for the company was creating this, this dress shirt that was created from this performance fabric that was stretchy, moisture wicking, super low maintenance, wrinkle free, didn't have to dry clean it, had a really sharp professional look, but also was, you know, off the rack made for a guy with an athletic fit who, you know, needed more room in the upper body. Uh, still wanted that nice taper tailored look uh, through the midsection, so that was kind of the um, you know the philosophy for what the company was going to be and what the product was going to be, and um, you know went out started making prototypes and, and kind of selling it that first year.
0: I uh, I'll never forget, and and you know you obviously we were, we're playing in the coast together that year, and um, uh, you know I'll never forget South Carolina coming up to play in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is where I was at the time, and. Uh, and we had just had, you know, a, a pretty hard-fought, you know, semi-professional hockey game on the ice, and then, uh, you know, 20 minutes after the game, uh, you're in our team lounge uh, kind of dishing out shirts and uh, fitting guys, and, uh, you know, everyone was just asking questions, and it was like we, we had never even, uh, you know, played a hockey game where there were probably multiple fights. Uh, you were just in the locker room, just just there in, the, in the the lounge, just talking shop and uh, getting guys fitted, and, uh, um, you know, the, the guys were super receptive to, to the shirts, and, and they loved it. Uh, I remember, you know, looking back on uh, on the quality of the shirts, obviously not on par with, with where they are today, but, uh, you know, the guys definitely bought in.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, we kind of say all the time, and uh, just, like, super lucky that we've had the support from the Michigan Network and the Hockey Network, which are just, like, two really extensive, loyal, passionate families. Um, and have been super lucky to have the, the support from both of them. Uh, two things I want to – talk about from that year too patty one involving you where you were essentially torching the coast and you came down to charleston i had like a hip flexor injury so i, w- I was out and you were playing great and uh, i was you know raving about charleston um and you were like you know what have a game tomorrow but like i'm not getting called up like let's let's go out in the town let's have let's have a good night so um you and i are having some beers and we're chatting and you asked about one of my good friends Derek de played on the team in charleston and you know, I said frankly, like he's not—he's not doing too well. Just got a healthy scratch. Like I think he's in the lineup tomorrow, and um, but he's having a hard time sticking in there. And you know, later in the conversation, you're saying like, you know, maybe if I fought, like that'll—that'll that'll help me get called up to the American League. You know, that's really the only thing it from my game. I'm good defensively. I'm putting up points, but like I don't have like that fighting on my on my record. And I kind of put it together, and you know, after a couple of beers, being like, well, I why don't—why don't you and Derek fight? Um, you guys like know each other a little bit, and like you know, no one will take liberties on each other, but you guys are both like similar size and similarly, not that tough. And, yeah. uh, I think it would be a good way for Derek to, you know, show that, you know, he should be sticking the lineup and maybe you get a couple of fights under your belt and you can call us to the coast. Oh, I'm sorry, to the American league. So, uh, the next day is like pack the, pack the barn night, uh, in South Carolina, which was a big, a pretty big arena. So it's like 8,000, you know, they're giving away like dollar beer, dollar hot dogs. So everyone's going nuts down there. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, I kind of facilitate this little fight, and um, you know, the crowd is absolutely rocking, and uh, that you know, I think Derek might have maybe taken taken you in that one by, by a hair, and um, you know, he beat the wheels me. off we're, me. We're, it, it wasn't yeah, even, it wasn't and, even and close. It was okay. Yeah, he mopped you up, and then uh, <laughs> you know, next next thing you know, like Derek, you know, coach comes in, he's fired up for Derek. He stays in the lineup, ends up having, like, a really good professional career, um, torching the coast and getting a lot of American League games, playing overseas. So I love that as, like, a little hockey story. Just, like, two guys, you know, trying to help each other out, but, um, you know, sacrificing their body to do it. So um, another yes, one. Yeah, like it's, a, it's amazing. It's
0: excited. amazing the, the opposite the opposite reception. You know, uh, Derek got uh, – I'm, I'm sure all the boys are fired up. Uh, and I came in the locker room, and my coach looked at me and was like, what are you doing? Uh, and I was like, I, I, I don't know. I just uh, I thought you'd yeah. like that.
1: Pat Mullane, the the momentum killer with his fight. <laughs> uh, Another one from that year too. I, I I like you know later in the year, uh, maybe like similar situation. You know, little um, we're playing against I forget who. Uh, I'm I'm not even sure, but um, I end up getting into a, a fight with with Brett and Cameron I think. And uh, you know, to have a good fight is what it is. Adrenaline's pumping. You go to the box and. Um, you know, sit down for 30 seconds, I look over and, uh, you know, Breton's trying to get my attention and, uh, you know, I, I look over, I think he's going to be like talking trash and he's like, Hey man, I just want to let you know, like, love what you're doing with state and Liberty, like a huge fan of the shirts. Uh um, but I think that's just like, a, I love telling that as like a, as a hockey story of just, just guys that are kind of doing a job out there, but at the same time, kind of looking after each other, looking to support each support one another. And, you know, to this day, you know, really, really a great customer.
0: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that's a
1: good story. I remember you telling me that one. Um, now, getting getting
0: state and liberty off the ground, can you talk a little bit about um, just initial funding? Did you did you take outside investment, or was it was it all self-funded, or um, you know, how did you get those those initial prototypes?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely self-funded at the beginning. Um, I was like on an American League contract that first year, and wasn't paying for housing, and um, had that internship, wasn't paying for housing, so I, I was able to save up some cash and. Uh, you know my co-founder Steve also had had some cash as well. So it um, wasn't a lot by any means, but we got those initial prototypes and uh, able to essentially, you know, order up our first 100 dress shirts and, you know, from there sold a bunch and then ordered up again and, you know, maybe, you know, bought and, and sold close to like 500, 700 shirts that first, call it like six months. And then um, once we hit the fall of 2015, we like launched a collection, had a big uh, launch party in Ann Arbor. And, you know, I think at the time we sold like $5,000 worth of dress shirts in a weekend and we thought it was the greatest thing ever. And, um, you know, naively and maybe the Shark Tank era, we, we felt that the first thing we had to do was go raise $250,000. And, you know, we met with a bunch of big time Michigan investors, angel investors, venture capitalists, and, you know, even had like a meeting at uh, City Field, overlooking the field in a big boardroom of like 15 people. And, uh, luckily, everyone kind of said no and, and felt like the idea was way too small and um, it, just, it just didn't make sense. So um, after getting shut down a couple of times, we essentially were like, you know, why do we even really need this money? We're doing it just because other people are doing it. So um, let's just be scrappy and kind of build this thing ourselves. So um, super lucky that everyone, you know, essentially said no to us. Uh, and then that's kind of been our mentality ever since that we're just kind of doing it ourselves here and, um, you know, we have a ton of support. So um luckily, we've kind of gotten who we are just with that initial capital and been able to turn it over and cash flow the whole business.
0: Good for you. Now, let, yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, where you are.
1: Um, you know, obviously,
0: um, you know, I don't want to skip a big chunk there of the, the company's uh, history, but, um, you know, today, I want to say you you have, um, you know, eight retail locations. Um, you know, first one in, in Boston and uh, obviously, uh, on pace to have you know uh, you know a, a record year and and still growing and uh you know haven't plat- plateaued yet so um you know talk about opening up your your first you know uh, retail location in boston and then uh, and then growing to new york and and dc and and what that experience is like and uh just the um uh, just the state of the company uh currently
1: yeah i mean you know started as a direct consumer e-commerce company um you know, it's just you just don't know anything to this day. Still don't know that much. But you know, we read the book uh, The Lean Startup by Eric Rise and <clears throat> excuse me, and essentially just kind of took that mentality of uh, of building this business, and you know, what's supposed to be that very lean um, direct consumer model. And uh, we had a buddy out in Boston, and I've always been to Boston. I was growing up in Newbury Street, is a great shopping area. Who you know, had a great deal on a, on a shop there on Newberry Street. And this is probably, what, two years in the business, I believe. And um, he was like, you know, why don't you guys try a little pop-up shop? And, you know, we all we've heard is what a nightmare retail is and it's expensive and um, you need a bunch of capital to do it. And, uh, Patty, you were you were there, and we opened up for 10 days right on Newberry Street. I don't remember what the initial uh, cost was of the place, but uh, we just kind of rinky-dinked it with, you know, a makeshift bar and a bunch of racks and some dress shirts and some polos, and we sent an email out to our boss and customers, and we're just absolutely overwhelmed with the response that we had and um, how our signage that we put on the outside of the store just attracted people in and being the new people on the block and um, just like a whirlwind 10 days of um, a lot of action and and customers coming in, and, and we definitely got hooked on Um, that whole experience of having customers in, hanging out, they're grabbing beers, they're um, trying on stuff and and new people, you know, coming in and, Hey, you know, what is this place and telling the story and getting them to try on the shirt for the first time and seeing their reaction. And, um, you know, I think our our stores are pretty special where it's definitely more of an experience than it is your traditional kind of pop in, grab what you want, get the hell out of there. Um, You know, we have guys that are in there, uh, you know, two three hours just hanging out on the couch watching sports you know just shooting it with other guys so um got hooked on that experience and uh extended what was a 10-day pop-up into a two-week pop-up and we've kind of been in and out hop around the street but essentially have been there for three years now just kind of crazy to think about um and then you know in that process we've opened a bunch of other stores went down to dc opened one up there that was awesome and it was fun early on, have some of our best friends that were transitioning out of the game, that were working the stores and uh, you know making making really good money uh, on commission in, in these stores, um, and uh, you know working with them as well. So that was a that was a really fun time uh, getting that going the first the first two retail stores, and then ever since then just kind of been scrappy, um, you know, being cognizant of uh, the online business and making it growing. But we we found a way to make these retail stores profitable and. Um, a really good experience and they've just been a tremendous way for us to not only build a brand with existing customers, but pick up and acquire customers, um, and do it in a profitable way. So, um, it's a big part of our game plan right now, big part of our game plan moving forward as well as, you know, paying attention to the online business and making sure that's growing as well.
0: So right right now you're where, so you're in Boston, Philadelphia, New York, DC, DC, Chicago, Chicago,
1: Ann Arbor and Toronto.
0: Do you have a, uh, do you have a favorite?
1: Oof. Uh, favorite, favorite, like interior store is DC. That's a five-year lease. And we put like a lot of effort into making that one look really good. So um, aesthetically, I'm a huge fan of DC. I also love Georgetown, but you know, I like, I like going and catching up with buddies and um, you know, Chicago and, and New York is where most of my college buddies are. And um, it's fun going there. And, and also just so many great memories from that first Boston store too. So, you know, it's kind of like asking the old adage, of who your favorite child is, Patty?" You know, it's just a tough
0: answer. <laughs> you no, know, no. Through this, uh, uh, now through all of the, these leases and all of this uh, uh, this real estate of yours, have you figured out what a uh, what a mortgage is yet?
1: I know what a mortgage is. I think, uh, even though we're, we're rental, we're mostly renting right now, but and I'm also renting my my residential home as well. So. Uh, I got a pretty firm grasp on it, but I could probably do some light reading and touch up on it before any big moves. <laughs>
0: um, and i talk to us about uh, you know kind of uh, traveling overseas and, um, and and working with the uh, the manufacturers overseas, and uh, and then then working with your um, with your team here in Ann Arbor, and, and just making sure logistically everything um, you know goes as as, a, as it's supposed to, because obviously. Uh, you know, when you're getting shirts made at a, um, you know, at a very high volume, I'm, I'm sure there's, uh, it's a logistical nightmare, but uh, you, you guys seem to pull it off and, and are, you know, incredibly organized. So just, you know, just talk about that entire, uh, I guess, supply chain and, um, and and how you came to, you know, have your relationship with your m- manufacturers over uh, overseas.
1: Yeah, I think that, that's been a really fun part of it is is working with these people overseas and uh, spending a lot of time over there, and uh like crazy, just like you know, have relationships with these people. And I speak with them every evening and every morning. So it's like a five year relationship where you're in contact every single day and we're visiting and you go over there and you meet their family and um, you know, one of our main suppliers, you know, had a two year old kid for a time went over there. Now he's now he's seven years old and I'm like really excited to see us. So that's been um that's been a really fun part of it, uh, going over there and uh it's it, it's been great, but you know, always a challenge when you're when you're talking about clothing and manufacturing, there's always there, there's always slip ups, but we've been really lucky to find some some great partners and um, you know, people are always like, you know, why get things made in America, made in America and, and we definitely tried and uh we wanted to but early on in the initial stages getting prototypes was just like we just couldn't afford it. Um and people weren't really excited about the idea and wanting to work with us in, in such low minimum. So we kinda had no choice but to go over there and um you know, I think, you know, you and I've both been lucky to like wear the the USA flag on our jerseys and very patriotic guy. And, you know, although our stuff isn't made here and the way our supply chain works and we can order in smaller minimums and get things fast and turn them fast, you know, it's allowed us to get where we are with, without taking any funding, without any capital, uh, capital. And, you know, with that, you know, we've been able to, you know, create close to 25, 30 American jobs. So, Um, that's been a a really fun part of it. Um, but yeah, no, obviously always learning experience and behind, uh, behind the door, always a nightmare with stuff going wrong. And that's kind of the way it goes. Just kind of roll roll with the punches and, uh, be honest with customers about, about product and stuff like that. And, um, you know, work with some good manufacturers where, you know, they're held accountable if, if the product isn't up to standard.
0: Uh, Good. And and lastly, before I guess we jump into the, the Q&As, I uh, I know you love uh, the podcast, How I Built This, and I love it. and um, So I kind of want to take a page out of their book and uh, just ask you, you know, how much of your success and, uh, you know, up to this point is, is luck and uh, how much of it do you think is a, is a direct correlation to what you and Steve, you know, kind of put into it?
1: So I think that that's a very... Corny question, so I'll, I'll re- respond with a very corny answer. Um, I feel like. Fair. I think uh, Red, our coach at Michigan, Red Berenson, used to always say, like, always talk about, like, puck luck, puck luck. Um, you know, guy standing from the net, V man shoots from the point, goes off his ass, and goes in, and, uh, you know, that's like, that's puck luck. Um, but he always kind of said, like, you know, the puck luck happens to the guys that are working the hardest, that are back checking, that are finishing checks. Um, I kind of feel like it's a a similar thing here. We put ourselves in a position to get lucky. Um, We've had a tremendous amount of luck with on that manufacturing side and finding good partners and good product and all of that. And then obviously um, just the support from everyone and uh, the word of mouth that our brand has has just been so strong and um, has made all this possible. So, um, you know, we've definitely worked hard. I think we've, we've worked smart and I think we treat people the right way and treat customers and our employees the right way. And, Um, But, you know, with that, there's always comes a a good amount of luck, but just trying to do the the right things to put ourselves in a position to get lucky. And we've gotten lucky so far, and hopefully uh, we'll continue to do so in the future.
0: That wasn't that corny of an answer, to be honest with you.
1: How's that for a corny answer? Well, that's pretty good. pretty scripted Uh, to me. All
0: right, let's uh, let's jump into the Q&A. A Um, a few guidelines before we start. Obviously, uh, for those who are calling in, quickly state your name first and where you're calling in from. Uh, 30 seconds to ask a question, please no profanity, um, and try to keep it hockey or State and Liberty related. Uh, I'll ask a few that were uh, sent in via email. So this is uh, Des from Las Vegas. Uh, Lee, who has been your favorite professional hockey player to work with uh, at State and Liberty?
1: Oh, wow. Um, There's been so many guys that have supported us, but I always had a uh – I always had like a, you know, I was off the V-man and always loved Mike Green growing up. Um, and obviously he's here in Detroit now. And I was living with uh, Glenn Denning and Larkin for, for a while. And, you know, those guys taking me in when I wasn't making any money and not making me pay too much rent and just making me do the dishes is, you know, obviously something uh, I appreciate so much. But I got to know those guys really well and got to know Greener really well. He's just a great guy who's more handsome, you know, in person than he is, uh, you know, on, on the screen. Uh, so that was like, I, I'm not a big like fanboy by any means, but always, always liked Greener. And, uh, you know, he's, he's helped us out with some photo shoots and some videos and the guy's an absolute stud and, and, uh, one, one of the best guys, uh, you know, I've met it's been, been super great to me, but so many guys uh, throughout the league that have had me in, in their locker room to, uh, sell shirts, especially early on. Um, you know, those were like our biggest revenue days. We like needed those days to keep the company afloat. So, uh, just appreciative to, to so many guys around the league and, and everyone that's been a customer and have supported us. Uh, Rick from Florida would like to know,
0: uh, I guess, what lessons you learned in hockey that translated into uh, being successful with state and Liberty.
1: I'm going to like take that another way and say that you definitely learn a lot of things and leadership when you're playing the game and, um, working with people and being a team player and, and all that stuff. And I can only say that managing and having 25, 30 employees is so much harder than I ever imagined. And I think I took for granted that my sports background would have me be really good at that. Um, but motivating people every day, um, has been, it's just, it's really tricky and uh, something that, you know, Steve and I are are both learning to do, um, you know, on a day-to-day basis and, uh, been a complete, complete learning experience. So that didn't answer that question at all. But I thought I'd just throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and we'll uh, we'll switch over to uh, to the live calls. Um, I believe we have uh, two questions on the line, so we'll go there.
1: Uh, hi, my name's Larry from Boulder, Colorado, and I have a couple of small questions here. I was just curious if State Liberty had any plans on making any specific golf-specific clothes, uh, and also, do you have any plans uh, to open a store in Colorado? And then the last question I just have for you is, and I'm sure you would agree, that um, Ohio women, Ohio State women are probably much better looking than Michigan women, and I just wanted your opinion on that. <laughs> no, uh, no profanity on the podcast, please. Uh, <laughs> to take a, the first question, uh, so we, we do make polos, make a performance polo. Um, we're kind of like right now, we're, we're kind of at a point where like we're always – working on products and like our prototype room is is pretty vast and um we're kind of and we we also like shop around with everyone that we potentially consider a a competitor um and we're just kind of had the mentality like if we can't do something better than than what else is out there um whether it's our like fit fabric or look then like we're not going to come out with it um i think that there's some companies that are doing great with the golf the golf pants um and then you know like i said we do have the polos i think that If you go to your standard country club, you'll find that, you know, the polos, like they're really nice gray fabric, look good, but like they're super baggy at the waist and that's like not really our look. So we do have the polos. I know guys really enjoy golfing in those. Um, And then, you know, shorts are something that we're definitely thinking about doing. Um, So yeah, kind of, kind of all over the place. Would love to do a store in Denver um, or even Boulder for that matter. So um, we're always looking we're kind of focusing on some East coast, uh, some more East Coast cities right now uh, as we keep going. And then uh, Ohio State girls. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard good things. You know, when you go to a big school like that, there's going to be some, some pretty ladies, I imagine. That's a,
0: that's a good answer. That's a, that's a way to uh, nicely deflect uh, that answer, Lee. Thank you. Um, all right, I believe we have another call uh, on the line. Hey, this is uh, Charlie from, and I'm, in new york right now um i was wondering if you guys had any plans to extend into women's clothing
1: ah just seems like the most frequently asked question uh as of late uh definitely thinking about it uh we you know we have the supply chain and and the manufacturing side figured out to make it happen uh i think that we're kind of looking for um, you know, potentially the right female to come in and, and kind of take uh, and head it up. Uh, it, we've kind of like built this brand on being, you know, um, you know, a brand that other guys out there are like, okay, these guys are the only ones that are making things for me. Um, and we're definitely a little hesitant that, like, if we start making women's stuff, that we'll lose that kind of loyalty. But we are certainly open to, you know, potentially another another company or something like that down the line. But uh, you know, the sizing and figuring out the sizing for guys has been extremely hard. I imagine it's very challenging for females. Um, but yeah, we're definitely not, not against it. We're just trying to get our ducks in a row with state and Liberty and then um, kind of go from there. But the conversation comes up. Uh, we at least get a couple emails a day about it. And then we always have our retail guys that are reaching out saying that, Hey, a female bought a, bought a dresser today. They're wondering why we're not making female clothing. So um Certainly talking about it, but just kind of trying to figure out the right timing.
0: And then uh, one one more question on uh, on line on the line. On the line. Maybe it's uh,
1: it's Brooks from Boston. Um, the Michigan move was one of the most, and still is one of the, the most famous moves in in the entire game of hockey. Was was that
0: guy, and is that guy still a legend to today? And do you know him?
1: Mike Legge, a legend. he's an absolute legend, yeah, he absolutely nice. is. Um, yeah, I mean, just like, just one of the coolest things. And I actually have a, a pretty good story about that. I wouldn't say, <laughs> I would say Red Barrington was, was a coach that kind of led by example more than, like, true, like, motivation. Um, but we were, we had an awful freshman year, my freshman year, and in the second round of the CCHA, we're two out of three playing against Michigan State, and it's just like a known thing. Like, we just don't win at Mon and they don't win at Yost. And it just never happens. And um, obviously, like, we, it's a day trip up there. So um, normally it's a day trip, but we were actually there for the weekend, went up early, practiced the day, stayed over the night. And we're doing the practice the day before the game, and this is just a very out-of-red character, but we're all stretching. And he gets in and, and stretches with us. And he, like, tells everyone to come closer. We come closer. He's like, no, come closer. closer. We get closer. No, come closer. So we're all like very huddled in, you know, in like the textbook, like hockey groin stretch. And he says, I was trying to think about the last time I've ever stepped on this ice because normally we wouldn't practice there. We'd practice at Yost and then go up. And he said, The last time I was on this ice was for an NCAA regional. And we're down against, I forget who it was against. The team needed a jump start. And next thing you know, we're down a goal. And know third period needed a spark and this guy mike leg always did this stupid moves and i told him don't ever do that in a game and he like you know did, did the michigan move and scored and they ended up winning that game and then i think potentially going on to win national championship i'm not sure if it was 96 or 98 but um yeah that's just, like that was definitely a cool moment that i definitely uh won't, won't really forget and it was very it was very non-red to do something as intimate as that i would say so uh yes he is a legend and uh, yeah, I mean, that's almost like part of, you know, Michigan hockey legacy of, of them being known, um, you know, as like a, as a college hockey, um, you know, powerhouse, I guess. Sort of can powerhouse. you, can you do that move? I, I, no, not anymore. I haven't skated in three years. My stuff's collecting dust. So, uh, <laughs> I, I don't have, I didn't have the capabilities. I was playing my best. So,
0: um, he's doing it with wood
1: stick too. I imagine that was challenging.
0: Yeah, I, I can't do it with, with today's technology. No. Um, all right, technology. One, one more question, Lee, and then, uh, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, this is Steve from Toronto. Did you ever consider major junior instead of college, and why or why not?
1: Uh, I think that Pat and I grew up uh, 10 minutes away from Quinnipiac University in Yale, and especially Yale, um, you know, old-school barn called the Yale Whale, shaped like a Yale, and holds maybe 2,500, 3,000 people, just a great crowd. Um, And my my dad used to take us to those games, like, quite frequently. Um, And it was just like – it just wasn't really in the cards for us. Like, we just – we were hooked by the atmosphere, and uh, we were just so surrounded by by college hockey and and coming up, like, in the USA – um, festivals and whatever the hell those are called like you know college hockey was just like such the route to go so um, I had like heard about it and I remember like some teams maybe calling about it but we were just so ingrained to be college hockey players and like even you know it almost felt like you know the the NHL was always like oh that'd be that'd be amazing but it was like let's just go to like the best college hockey school that we can go to and, and almost like that was that was like the real the real dream the real goal which, you know, whatever happened after that was gravy, but uh, we were just super focused and, and excited to be college hockey players. We were lucky we were able to do that. I, uh, I mean, I, I can't um,
0: stress that enough or just, uh, you know, I look back on on just my hockey experience and, you know, my memories, and uh, some of my best memories are, you know, me, you, and your dad going to watch Chris Higgins at Yale on a Friday night. Uh, you know, I would look forward to uh, getting, you know, I, I'd look forward to, to, to Friday night and being able to go watch those games more than, uh, you know, playing in, in our games the next day on Saturday morning, uh, just, just being surrounded by the atmosphere and, uh, and listening to the, the Gale band and the Cornell band, um, w- was just incredible. And I think, uh, uh, you know, to your point from, from just an early age, um, you know, both of us knew that, that we just wanted to, to play, you know, big time college hockey. Yeah,
1: no, definitely. I mean, not much I'll say about that. We just, uh, we were hooked on it, and uh, it was yeah, it was it was a blast, and I think we can both uh, say that it was everything that we wanted and a little bit more.
0: Good, Lee. I uh, well, we appreciate you coming on tonight. Um, would you like to uh, to tell the listeners how they can um, you know purchase some uh, some State and Liberty gear?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, not to be too salesy here, but know if you're an athletic guy you know an athletic guy in your life looking for a great fitting feeling dress shirt um state uh, and uh a and d spelled out and uh if you happen to be in, in one of our cities we kind of listed them out and i'll probably forget one here but um new york boston dc philly chicago ann arbor or toronto you know we'd appreciate you spreading the word and, um stopping by one of the stores or if someone is, is, is in one of those cities um you know having them stop by. But, Hockey community has been been amazing to us, and as well as the Michigan run, And um, you know, this podcast is kind of case in point to that.
0: Good. Well, uh, to all the listeners and everyone who uh, dialed in with with questions, thank you. Uh, we will be posting this uh, within the next week, uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but Lee, thank you again do we for do, coming
1: do on. We, do we do a little uh, a little discount code? Maybe we'll throw a little discount code pregame in there. That sounds We can, right, we Pat? can do that
0: you want to do that so we'll perfect. we'll do a, a discount yeah, we'll code for it. state and liberty uh pregame all one word perfect perfect uh all right lee uh you have a great night thank you again for calling on and uh we're coming on and, and thank you again uh everyone for calling in Hi. Right,
1: thanks for having me appreciate it